0: Well, we are in our second week uh, of a series called Wonder Women, and we're looking at some uh, relatively unknowns in the Bible, uh, learning from their stories and making some applications in our own lives. Last week, Pastor Sean talked about Jochebed, uh, who was Moses' mother. Uh, many of us know who Moses is. God used him in a mighty way. But if it wasn't for his mother, um, we wouldn't have the story of Moses. And so she, because she was obedient to God, that was the big takeaway, is that she trusted God no matter what her circumstance looked like. And her circumstances were pretty crazy. If you heard this this past weekend, uh, you, you heard her story. But she trusted God no matter what. And because she trusted God, God used her son to actually lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of captivity, 400 years. They were slaves. God used that and, and, and brought them out of Egypt uh, to the Red Sea. Now, continuing that story, they're at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's coming after them, and God parts the Red Sea, and they go through on dry land. But that's not the end of their story. The story continues, because God, God promised them that he was going to make them uh, a great nation. And he was going to give them a, a promised land. And so he brings them to the promised land, and he says, Now, Moses, I want you to scout out the promised land and, and find out the, the good things that I've told you that will be there. And then I want you to take this land. I'm going to give this land to you, but you got to be willing to take a step of faith and go in and seize the land. So the Bible tells us that he sends out twelve spies, and of the twelve spies, uh, they all come back, and ten of them give a bad report. They said, "Now Moses, I understand that you say God's going to give this land, but we were in there, and we saw the cities, and the cities are they're fortified. They've got warriors. They've got they've got weapons." We've been slaves for the last 400 years. We've made brick. So unless we're going to throw bricks at them, we've got no chance whatsoever because we don't have swords, we don't have weapons, they have wall cities. It's just not going to work. But two of the spies came back, which was Joshua and Caleb, and they said, no, we can do this because God has promised that he's going to go with us and he's going to fight for us. But, of course, the ten spies influenced the entire nation And they decide not to go in. And because of that decision, God says, okay, this is going to be the consequence of your disobedience. You're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And the guys that should have gone in and fought for this, I'm going to let them die off. They're not going to experience the blessing of what I'm going to give them. And I'm going to raise up a new generation. And Moses, I'm going to raise up a new leader. Moses, you will not enter in as well. And so this is where we pick up the story this weekend, and we see our next person that we're going to be identifying, which is Rahab, and the story that God uses in her life and things that we can learn from it. So if you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua is now the new leader. Moses has died off. All the men who are supposed to go into Canaan and take over have died off, and God has raised up their, their sons to go in and take the land. And, but they're going to spy out the land before they go in again. And so this is where we we meet Rahab, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, Joshua secretly sent out two spies from Israel's camp of Achaia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the river Jordan, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, and they came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they stayed there that night. Now you're saying, okay, we're talking about great people of faith, great people in the Bible, and and Rahab, who we just read, was a prostitute? She's this great person of faith? How does a person go from a prostitute to a great person of faith? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, first of all, how she became a prostitute. Um, I'm pretty sure, as a young girl, she didn't wake up one day and say, you know what I want to be, Dad? I want to be a prostitute. So something in her life forced her into that occupation. Maybe it was her dad. Maybe the family struggled, and so the dad said, I'm sorry, sweetie, this is what you're going to have to do to help the family. And that would be horrible if if he did that. Most likely what happened was her husband abandoned her. In that day, when when a husband abandoned a wife, she had two options. One, she could be a beggar, or she could be a prostitute. And so most likely, it was her circumstances that forced her into this lifestyle. And maybe you can identify with the pain of her life. I'm sure that as this is being written about her life, she's taking inventory of her life and she's not saying, you know what, this is where I thought I would be. I didn't think as my life story was being written that this would be a chapter in my life. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you can identify with with pain and suffering and disappointment maybe you find yourself in a situation like i i didn't think that i i would be stuck in this type of career i thought i'd be further along in my career i'm just sort of stuck and i'm disappointed i'm frustrated maybe you thought you'd be out of school by now and and you're like i just I, i just i can't get ahead Maybe you never thought that divorce would be a part of your story. Maybe you you didn't think that dysfunction would be a part of your story or abuse. Maybe you never thought debt would be a part of your story. Maybe you never thought cancer would be a part of your story. And you're wondering, where is God in all this? I'm sure she was wondering, what's going on in my life? All I know is that I'm disappointed with what's going on in my life right now. And if you can identify with that, I'm glad that you're here. Because I want to tell you, God's not done. God's not done in her story, and we're going to learn from her story. But I want you to know, God's not done with your story. There's still stuff that he wants to do. And if we could pull her out of the stands and ask Rahab, what was it? Because Rahab's story doesn't end there. I'll I'll give you the end story. She becomes one of the grandmothers of Jesus. So she goes from being a prostitute to one of the grandmothers of Jesus. How does that that happen? How does a person go from rags to riches? What was her secret? What what did she do? And I think if you were to pull her out of the stands and ask her, Rahab, what's the one thing that helped turn your life around? I think she would say this. And if you have your notes, uh, your communication card, you want to turn it over, I'd write this statement down. This is what I think, this is the advice I think she would give. Give God the pen of your life and let him rewrite your story give god the pen of your life and let him rewrite your story hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2 says this therefore we also since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses chapter 11 lists all these different people heroes of the faith abraham and moses and isaac and jacob and you know who else is recorded in that chapter rahab she's part of hebrews chapter 11 And the writer of Hebrews saying, since we're surrounded by all these witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the what? He's the author. He's the author. He wants to be the author of our faith. He's the one that wants to write the next chapter of your life. I know for many of us, we're saying, well, what about the bad things that happen in our life? Is God writing that into my story? And I would say, no. The Bible says God is not the author of sin. He's not the originator of sin. And so some of those bad stories, some of those bad chapters in our life is because we live in a broken world. And it's the brokenness of this world that has added that chapter to our life. For some of us, it's because of the brokenness around us and the people that we hang out with. And the, the decisions that they've made that have influenced the chapter that's being written in our life. It wasn't God. I know for me, honestly, some of the bad chapters, it's because I had the pen and I was writing. And I was the cause of the dysfunction and the hurt and the pain and getting off track. It wasn't God. It's because I took the pen back from God and I began writing my own story. Making me the hero of my story. So I want you to know, God's not done. And I want to give you three reasons why I think you should give God the pen of your life from the story of Rahab. And the first one is this. The first reason you should give God the pen of your life is because God is searching for you to be a part of his story. God is looking for you, and he wants you to be a part of his story. He wants to write a story of your life, but he wants to include you in his story. Look back at Joshua Chapter 2 again. We'll start reading in verse number 2. We've already read verse number 1 where we were introduced to Rahab. But someone came to the king of Jericho um, and said, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab hid the two men and she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier but I didn't know who they were or where they were from. Uh, They left at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you can probably catch up to them. But actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hid them beneath bundles of flax, which she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men left, the gates of Jericho were shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. Listen to what she's saying to these two spies. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. I know God's going to give you Jericho and Canaan and and all the surrounding areas. I know this. Um, She says, we are all afraid. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know how you, or what you did to Shion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. She says, no wonder our hearts are melting with fear. No one has courage to fight after hearing such things. For your Lord, for the Lord your God, is the supreme God in heaven above and earth below. God wants to include her in his story. And he's searching for her. She wasn't searching for God. She was all set. As a matter of fact, she had her own gods. Jericho was sort of the hotbed for the moon worship. And so she had her own God. She had her own belief system. She wasn't looking for God. And maybe you're here and you're like, I'm really not looking for God. I don't even know why I'm here. Well, I want you to know it's not a coincidence that you're here and we're talking about Rahab. She wasn't looking for God. She had her own set of beliefs. And everyone that she surrounded herself with had the same set of beliefs. As a matter of fact, I think she had a plan B. The Bible said that she hid these two spies under some bundles of flack. And some people that I talked to, and this is just a theory, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but the theory is that she was going to get out of the business of being a prostitute that the bundle of flax were actually used to make candles. And so maybe she was trying to better herself. Maybe she's saying, you know what, I, I don't like this style, I don't like the story that's being written, and so I, I want to change it. I'm going to go to plan B. I'm going to go to my second option. And maybe, maybe she was, and that's, a, that's a, great, a great thing. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. We have plan B. God's searching for us, but you know what, we have plan B. We want to rescue ourselves because we're writing the story of our life. We want to be the hero of our story, so we have plan B. And so, you know what? I'll go back to school. And there's nothing wrong going back to school and betting yourself. But if you're looking to education to rescue you from what's broken inside, that falls short. And so, for some of us, plan B is going back to school. For some of us, it's switching jobs. If I just switch jobs, I'll be happier. And again, there's nothing wrong with switching jobs. But if you're looking to your career, to rescue you, you're looking in the wrong place. For some of us, you know what, I'll just get a second or a third job. I will fill my life up with something that I think will bring me meaning. And it's just not going to work. I'm going to end this relationship, and I'm going to get into another relationship because this person can fix me. And you're looking in the wrong spots. I had a plan B in my life. I grew up in the church, I had turned from my disobedience to God and my selfishness at a very young age, but when I hit high school, I rebelled, and if God said, go this direction, I went that direction. I was like Jonah, I was not following God's plan for my life. I began hanging out with some people that influenced me to do things that I would normally wouldn't do, and um, I was staying out to about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, it was in the summertime, so there wasn't school, so I wasn't skipping school. But we were doing things. There, nothing happens at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nothing good, I should say, right? Especially for a 16-, 17-year-old. And I remember coming home one night. I pull into the driveway, and the kitchen light's on. I'm like, oh, boy. And I walk into the house, and my dad's sitting at the, at the, at the dinner table. And he says, have a seat. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here it goes. And I, I was getting ready. Just I was ready to let him have it. I was going to tell him where he could go and what he could do with what he was about to say. And so I sat down, and he simply said this, I love you. And I didn't raise you to live this way. And God loves you more than I do. And he is searching for you. He's after you. And that's all he said. Great conversation, Dad. Thanks. But that actually was the beginning of God turning my life around. That summer, I went to summer camp, and God again was pursuing me and pursuing me. And let me just say this if you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, sign them up for our summer camp. There's more information on the communication card. Sign them up. It's part of my story and how God, what God used in my life to help turn my life around. That fall, we had a missionary. He came and he was speaking at our church and he was talking about the little boy who gave Jesus his his bread and his fish and God just simply said, Ken, if you'll give me what you have, I'll use it. I remember coming up front and telling my pastor, I'm giving God my life. Whatever he wants, it's his. And I remember when he told the church that because again, I was running from God. This is how bad it was. One time we were in church and uh, they were singing like we did right before I came up here. And I actually pulled a fire alarm. Thinking that would get me out of church. It didn't. It got me in a lot of trouble, though. But that's, I didn't want to be in church. And so when I came forward and I told my pastor, I, I, I'm going to go to Bible college and I'm going to give my life to God. Half the church had revival. <laughs> there is a God and he's working in his life. The other half broke out in just sheer celebration because I was going to be leaving. So everyone was happy. But that was my plan B. And God used my dad, God used camp, and a missionary to help right into my life. Let me just say this the people you hang around do influence your chapters. They do. Don't tell me they don't, they do. The people I was hanging around with at 2 o'clock in the morning, they were helping me write my story, and it was not leading in a good direction. And Rahab has this choice. She has the spies telling her one thing, but she has the king's men telling her another thing. And this is a very important time in her life. And who she chooses to listen to is going to direct her life one way or the other. If she listens to the the king's men and she gives up the spies, she will be destroyed with the rest of Jericho. But if she goes with God's plan, she will be rescued. So God is searching for you, and he wants to bring you into his story. But you have to give him the pen of your life. In John chapter 15, and verse 16, he says this. Jesus is writing, and he says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce uh, lasting fruit or good fruit. God says, I have a story for you. And it's a good story. But you have to let me write it. You have to give me the pen of your life. The second reason I think you should give God the pen of your life is this. is because God always makes a way for you to be a part of his story. God is searching for you. And he wants to include you in his story. But he also makes a way to write you into his story. Look back at Joshua chapter 2. Starting verse number 12. So she's already admitted that your God is the supreme God. I recognize that from the stories of seeing what God has done in your life. She says, But now swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee when Jericho is conquered that you will let me live, along with my, my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men replied. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape into the hill, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men who are searching for you. Then when they return, you can go your way. But before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by this oath um, when we we have taken... Only if you follow these instructions. So they're going to give them some, her and some instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, and all their relatives, they need to be inside the house. If you go out into the streets and are killed, that's, that's not on us. That's not our fault. Our instruction is you stay in the house. But if anyone lays a hand on you, the people inside the house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, Rahab, if you tell on us, if you reveal our plot that what God wants us to do, then we're not going to be bound by this oath anymore. Listen to her response. I accept. I'm in. I'm all all gods. He's a supreme God. I'm all for it. I'll keep your your secrets secure. I'll stay in my house. I'm going to tell everybody that I love and care about to come in my house that they can be rescued also. I want you to know that God makes a way for you to be included in his story. So her faith is what rescued her. Her faith that God was the supreme God, not this moon God that they were worshiping before, that's what rescued her. But she acted on her faith. She applied actions to her faith, and she did exactly what they told him. Now the story, and I'll just give you the, the, brief, the brief story of it, is that the nation of Israel does come, and they march around Jericho one time for six days. They don't say anything, they don't do anything, and everybody inside is in terror because they know the story that God had done taking the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so this nation is just marching around. That's all they're doing. On the seventh day, they march around the, the city of Jericho, which is the very... Uh, um, Uh, secure city they march around seven times and at the end they shout and they yell and the walls start to fall down you can read the rest of the story in Joshua now imagine you're Rahab and you've made this deal with some spies and it's been seven days and you're wondering if this is really going to happen or did they trick you did they use you is God really going to follow through in his plan And as they begin marching around on the seventh day seven times and the wall begins to crumble down and her house, the Bible said, was in the town. It was in the wall. Could you imagine? As she begins to look out her window and all the city wall begins to crumble like dominoes. And it gets to hers and it stops. The only part of the wall that did not fall was Rahab's apartment. Because had it fallen... She would have died with everyone else. So God kept his promise to her. But he makes a way for her to be a part of that. And I want you to know God's made a way for you to be rescued. And be written into his story. In John chapter 3 verse 16 God says. God so loved the world. God so loved you. That he sent his one and only begotten son. That if you will believe in him. If you will give him the pen of your life. You won't perish but you'll have everlasting life. That's how God writes you into his story. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8, Paul's writing here and he says this. God saved you by grace when you believed, when you gave him the pen of your life. You can't take credit for it. It's not your gift. He gave it to you. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not from the words of your good deeds that you've done. Or you'd be able to brag, look at what I've done with my life. Look at the story that I've written. I'm the hero of my story. See, this is why my life was so off track. I was writing my story, and I was the hero of my story. God wasn't. And as long as you're the hero of your story, God can't be. But here's the problem. I can't rescue anybody. I don't have the ability to rescue anybody. Only God does. And so God wants to write into your story so that he can rescue you, and not just you. But he wants to use your story to rescue other people. We see that in Rahab's story. Why did she believe that, that God was the Lord, supreme God of heaven and earth? Because she saw the story that God was writing in the nation of Israel. She said, I saw that the Lord is the one that brought you guys out of Egypt. He's the one that parted the Red Sea so that you can go through. He's the one that helped you to overcome the, the night kings. She didn't attribute that to the the nation of Israel and their mighty warriors. She said it was your Lord, your God that did that. And I want you to know that God wants to use your story that he's writing in your life to impact other people. The third reason why I think you should give the pen of your life to God is because God's story always has a better ending. God's story has a redemptive ending, a better ending. What was Rahab hoping for? What what was the deal that she wanted to make with the spies? Hey, when you come in, can you just make sure that we don't die? That's that's all she wanted. She didn't ask, hey, get me out of prostitution. She didn't ask, hey, I want to become one of you guys, and I want to follow your God. All she said is, hey, just don't kill me. Maybe I can go to another city and start my candle business, and I have my family with me. And God says, I have so much more for you. I don't want to just see that you don't die. I want to rescue you and give you a life to live that you can't even imagine. The next time we hear about Rahab outside this story is in the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the followers of Jesus. And he writes in Matthew the genealogy of Jesus. And he wants to show that that Jesus goes back all the way to, and he's connected to Abraham, who is the father of the nation of Israel. And they do that through genealogy. This person was married to this person, had this child, and this child was married to this person, had this child. And so from Abraham to Jesus, there's 42 different generations. And mostly they, they name the guys because the lineage was passed through, through the man. But in Matthew's account, he includes four of the grandmothers of Jesus. And I want to read their names because I want you to see who they are. In Matthew chapter 1. In verse number 3, it says this. Judah was the father of Prez and Zareph, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you don't know this story, it's a horrific story. And I'll just give you the short version of this. Tamar was married to Judah's son. And he was such a wicked person that God actually killed him. And the other son who married her but wouldn't let her get pregnant he made sure she didn't which was in that day was just was awful so judah was actually her father-in-law it wasn't her husband it was her father-in-law he sends her away and someone told tamar hey your father-in-law's in town and this is what she did she dressed up as a prostitute and she tricked her father-in-law into having sex with her and she got pregnant and she had twins And Matthew wants you to know that God used her, rewrote her story, and her story is a part of Jesus' story. In verse number five, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab's son is Boaz. Boaz is sort of a picture, a type of Christ, because he's married to Ruth. And Ruth is a Gentile. She wasn't Israelite, actually Rahab wasn't a Jew. She was a Canaanite. Rahab is actually the first non-Jew, Gentile, to be brought into or converted to Judaism in the Bible. And her great-granddaughter, Ruth, also is brought into this. Her son was Obed, who was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And as you look at these three men, why would Matthew only include these three ladies? Because of their past, because of their story. I think Matthew identifies with these ladies because Matthew had a a terrible past. He was a tax collector. He was a traitor of his country. And so for Tamar, I think he wrote and included her and wanted you to know that she was part of God's story because Tamar shows us that God will forgive even our darkest sins. She tricked her father-in-law in having sex with her. And God says, I want you to know even your darkest sins can be forgiven. That's what we learned from Tamar. From Rahab, we learned that regardless of your past, she was a prostitute, regardless of your past, God wants to write in your story. He wants to include you in his story. With Ruth, we learn that God won't leave anyone out. She was an outsider, and God included her in his story. With Bathsheba, she was a victim. She was on her roof bathing, and King David, because he was a lustful man, said, I'm going to have her, and he took her and got her pregnant and then killed her husband, Uriah. That's why she was a widow, because King David and his sinfulness... She didn't didn't ask for that. And I think what we learn from Bathsheba is this, that God can heal any situation. God is the hero of our stories, not us. He's the answer. If you're looking for answers, God says, I have many names that I call myself, and all my names help you to identify with that I can provide for you. So if you're looking for answers, God says, I'm Yahweh, which simply means I am. I am, I'm the answer, I'm, I'm who you're looking for. I'm the one that can rescue you. If you're weak, God says, I'm Elohim. I'm strong. I'm El Shaddai. I'm the mighty one. That's who who you should look to if, if you're struggling. If you're in need, he says, I am Yahweh Jireh, the Lord who provides. If you need peace, he says, I am Yahweh Shalom, the Lord of peace. If you find yourself in darkness, in a very dark place, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and my word is a lamp to your feet. Let me guide you. But that only happens if you let him write your story, if you allow him to be the hero of your story. Because Rahab allowed God to be the hero of her story, her story doesn't end with her being a prostitute. It ends with her being one of the grandmothers of the Son of God. And I'm telling you, if you give God the pen of your life, God wants to rewrite your story, to rescue you and give you an ending that you would not believe. Not just to change your life, but to change the lives of people around you. Because your story, God will use your story to impact other people. He did that with the nation of Israel. He did that with Rahab. He does that with every single person he ever writes in their story. Think about the people in your life that influenced you. How God used them, the circumstances that God used in your life to help write your story. That's what God wants to do. So I have a couple of questions as we wrap up. Who's writing your story? Is it you or is it God? Because God loves you, He's searching for you. You got to stop running, you got to start listening. You've got to hand over the control of your life and the pen to your life and give it to God. Who's shaping your story? Have you surrounded yourself with people who love God and love you and they're going to help write your story? To me, that's why the Warriors Conference is so important for us guys. We need godly influences in our life helping shape our story. Or do you have people who don't, don't have your faith, don't share your faith, helping you write your story? Who's hearing your story? Who are the people that are in your life that need to hear what God's doing in your life? And who does God want to impact their lives using your story? God's made a way for you to be part of his story, and I I promise you, his ending is way better than anything you will ever write for yourself. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to God about what God's talking to you about. It's been my prayer that Rahab's story would speak to you in some way. Maybe you identify with her in the fact that you look at your life and you do not like the chapter that you're in right now. It's dark. It's off track. And you don't know how to get it back on track. It begins with you giving the pen of your life, the control of your life, to God maybe there are people in your life that are shaping your story and it's not it's not good maybe your story is not impacting other people like it should God did not rescue you simply just for you he wants to use your story to help rescue other people What's keeping you, what fear, what obstacle is keeping you from giving that pen to God? That's what I want you to tell him. God, this is the fear. This is the fear that I have. If I give you this pen, I'm afraid what? I'm afraid of what you're going to ask me to do. I'm afraid of what I might have to give up. I'm afraid of what I might miss out on. What is it? You don't see the end story. You don't see what God wants to write, and I'm telling you, it's way better. So what's your next step? Maybe it's to surround yourself with people who have faith and love you, and they will help shape and help write your story as God leads and directs, using the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Maybe you already know the areas of your life, the area of your life that you've hold back on. Maybe maybe it's relationships. You trust God in every other area of your life except for your relationships. In your relationships, you're writing the story because you want the ending to be happy, romantic. You need to give that pen to God. Maybe it's your career. You're writing your story of success. What area of your life do you need to hand that pen over to God? God, I am grateful for Rahab. The story of her life doesn't begin well. God, I'm sure it was dark. I'm sure she was frustrated. I'm sure she was uh, hurt. God, she was used by men for their pleasure. But God, you rescued her. You turned her life around. You wrote an incredible story of, with her life, that impacts people, it even impacts us today. And God, that's what I'm asking that you would do for us. That we would learn from the story of Rahab that you you are searching for us. You've made a way for us to be written into your story and what you wanna write and do in our lives is much greater than what we could do by ourselves apart from you. And God, we simply have to have the confidence and the faith in you that you will write a story in our life that we could not imagine, that we could never obtain apart from you. God, give us the faith and the confidence in you to relinquish the control of our life in whatever area of our life that we are holding on to, to you. God, thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.